Our passage this morning comes from Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Give just a little uh, bit of where he's coming from as he introduces this passage. I'm going to begin reading with chapter 3, verse 16, and we'll read, I'll read through chapter 4, verse 3. Before I read, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you again this morning in the name of Christ. And we come to sit at the feet of your Apostle Paul. You gave him your, these words by your Holy Spirit that he might infallibly teach the church. And we come as that church uh, to hear your infallible words today. We ask that you would indeed teach us, that you would correct and reprove us, that you would instruct us in all righteousness, that you would lead us in that way that leads to life and joy and peace in Christ Jesus. We pray that, again, all distractions would be taken away, that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that our hearts might receive this instruction with teachable hearts, that we might receive it with joy and gratitude, and that these words might live within our hearts, uh, that they would produce fruit, uh, the fruit of uh, repentance, faith in Christ, obedience to you, and unity and love to your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 16 through chapter 4, verse 3. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, dearly beloved, I beseech you, Odious, and I beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with others my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Here we have Paul taking what he has instructed the church in Philippi and applying it to their daily, everyday life. It's one thing to receive the doctrines of, of the gospel and what Christ has done for us to uh, reconcile our hearts, to give us peace in the face of our own sin, to goad us into repentance and, and, and to strive after holiness. It's another thing sometimes, unfortunately, uh, to take what we know to be true 
and actually live it out in the hard circumstances of other human beings. Uh, particularly when we gather in the church. Uh, and so Paul takes up this, this, uh, this uh, difference that was between Euodius and Syntyche, two women, uh, two uh, women that were precious to him because they had labored much for the gospel. Uh, Philippi is a church that, uh, that was founded, remember, in a women's prayer group with Lydia and, and others. Uh, they, they did take, there was a good deal of work amongst uh, the ladies there. Uh, there are other, uh, it was founded in two parts. One was in a Philippian jail as well, and that's a completely different thing. Uh, but you have here uh, some sort of difference. It has often been assumed to be a quarrel, but it, it's not even stated that way. And we should be very careful that we don't... Um, read too much into it. All that we're really given is that they need help coming together. Uh, these two women uh, are at some variance, uh, not about doctrinal things, not about uh, the essentials of the gospel, not about uh, even, we would say, the moral implications of the gospel, because Paul would have brought them forth with great denunciation in such a case. Uh, these are not the enemies of the cross of which we read in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3. Many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Now, when Paul was giving that admonition to the Philippians, as if you remember when we went through chapter 3, uh, this was an admonition that wasn't being imputed to Philippi, but this was a, a problem that the, the question of the sufficiency of Christ was one of those early heresies that the church had to deal with, particularly in the Judaizers, but other groups as well. Uh, but Paul brings an admonition to them, but it's of a different character than, say, Galatia, where that heresy was tearing the church apart. Paul is talking to a church that has stood fast in the gospel, that has continued to stand fast in the gospel, but out of love for him, he's, he's bringing up the dangers that they still face no matter how much they love the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul almost has to look for a problem. He's not looking for a problem, but Paul almost has to look for a problem in Philippi to address. But there is this occasion where there's this difference between uh, these two women in the church, uh, energetic women for the gospel, and, and men are women. Anybody energetic for the gospel and who are laboring hard will sometimes come to blows with other energetic people. Uh, that we are human beings. Uh, we don't always see eye to eye. And something of this nature is going on here. But in no place does Paul put, fit them as enemies of the cross. Remember when he is writing in chapter 1 and he's talking about how his suffering is served to magnify the preaching of Christ. And there were some that were preaching the true gospel, not a heresy, but a true gospel out of envy for Paul. It's sort of to stick it to him. He's in prison and, and his audience is limited, but they can preach all the more. And, and they're not really doing it with the right motive. Uh, they're doing it to, uh, to harass Paul, but he's just happy Paul, uh, Christ is being preached. Even there, though, there's a little bit of a, a, a censure 
of those preachers of the gospel. But here there's none of that. Euodius and Syntyche do not fall under censure. Uh, there is an implied, this fact that they were at, at, at variance, but they're not, they're not under uh, great censure. In verse 3, we, we have that they were both effective laborers for the gospel, with Clement and others also. Uh, and uh, they were, in some way, uh, pulling apart from each other. And this was, if it was allowed to continue, would be a source of... Of, of danger for the church in Philippi. Uh, at any time that differences uh, are allowed to become problematic in a church, uh, it is a danger sign for the church. Uh, there are many really tiny churches that love each other and continue to flourish. There are many large churches that finally let the discord thrive to the point where it explodes and the work is for naught. And there is no more gospel there. Uh, Christ comes and sets up a kingdom. The church is the kingdom of Christ Jesus. And a kingdom divided is at civil war and will be destroyed. So this is something that needs to be dealt with. And it is incumbent on the church to help them come together. Verse 3, uh, Paul writes, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women. Now note, uh, this is one of these places that sometimes you'll notice is that there's a footnote. Um, he, Paul is talking to some individual. Uh, and, and yet he calls him true yoke fellow. It's generally um, probably best to, to read yoke fellow here as, as a proper name, Zegus, uh, Zizigus. And, uh, and it's not attested anywhere else, but uh, Philippi is kind of in the, not in one of the more common places. It's, it's, uh, this fits with the way Paul is dealing with. He's naming names, Euodius and Tyche, Clement. Why then suppress a name here? Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The fact he would call him true Sisygus is on the other. Sisygus, who's truly named. You who are a yoke fellow. You who are good at bringing those together in a common labor. You live out your name truly and help these two women. He is probably an elder in the church or deacon or some sort. And Paul is calling on him. Uh, and, and by implication, anybody else uh, that can... To, to affect this unity. And again, we don't want to read too much into the situation because Paul doesn't give us a whole lot of information to read into. And, and we want to be very careful that we're, we don't invent a situation and then make application out of it. Um, but what we can see clearly is that Paul believes it's incumbent upon the brothers and sisters in Christ to seek for reconciliation between two of those sisters in Christ that are at variance. And, and the reason why is because they are one in the divine consideration. They will be one in glory. Note that he puts, you know, they are fellow laborers with me, with, with Clement also, with others whose names are written in the book of life. According to Paul, he is no doubt. Euodius and Syntyche are saints. They are good women in the church 
It would not matter if it was uh, Eodius and Syntychus. They would be good men in the church. It doesn't, this, this was the situation. They were the ones that are, uh, had the situation that's brought up. But the point is, in what matters, in that which will not be passed away, in that which is immortal, in that which is eternal, they are united in one in Christ Jesus. They are recipients of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are part of the elect. They are enrolled in heaven. And just like in chapter 3, 20 and 21, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, our low body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to, to do all things to himself. In other words, there is that future, there is that destiny, there is the spiritual reality that must dictate who we are. Those two women, while they are at variance now, are united. Let's bring that into actuality. Help them to do so. Note that it is help. Uh, the, in, in the verse 2 also, uh, they, I beseech, he addresses them uh, directly, I beseech these two women that they be in the same mind in the Lord. That they find their unity in the Lord. He is not speaking to children here. He is not speaking to the people that are out of their wits and can't be trusted to do the right thing. He is speaking to both the women as well as Syzygos or the true yoke fellow and anybody else that would listen as mature Christians. This is something that y'all, you're faltering on, but you can handle it in Christ. Two saints can be trusted to come together with help. There is sort of a... There is what is often called a hierarchy in the church. But it's not really a hierarchy. Uh, in Christ we have the king. But even our king came and gave himself for the sheep. His right to the kingdom is his service to the church, to that kingdom. And Christ, when he appoints the apostles, uh, the foundation of the church... He washes their feet and he says, you will have to do likewise, not literally, but you will have to give yourselves for the good of the sheep. That it's not a hierarchy in the sense of authority of above. It's, it's almost the exact opposite. I'm not going to pretend in the Greek that I could do this with any sort of without some blasphemy, but it's, it's like a lowarchy, if you will, um, that it rises up from the service to the church. Because the church itself is the kingdom. And it's a royal priesthood. It's a church filled with kings. If the grace and spirit of Christ is not enough, then nothing else will be. That the ministry of the church is just that. A service of the word. That it is to remind the Christians as a whole what God has promised. What is their destiny. So that they in the spirit can do what is right can follow Christ. In other words, you, there is no great need for some sort of ecclesiastical corporal punishment. Because if you are truly a Christian, if you're truly one of Christ's, all you have to do is have your mind jogged for what is expected of those who are Christ's. And you will willingly pursue it. That's the way Paul treats the situation. Now, it's not the way he always treated every situation. 
when it comes to the great destruction of the gospel brought about by the Judaizers in Galatia. He's very harsh. When it comes to the Libertines in Corinth, he is quite harsh. But even there, his, what he's doing is not beating them into submission. He's bringing the full weight of God's judgment against such sins and then puts it before them and says, does this match that grace that you claim? He shames them with the word. But it's still the ministry of the word. And that should be sufficient for Christ's people to do the right thing. Now, you and I both know that that we hear the word of the Lord sometimes and we put it away. Uh, But that only proves that as individuals, uh, we oftentimes can invade the instructions of the Lord. But that's why God has called us together as a body in Christ, that we can help one another, that we can encourage the language of the the writer to the Hebrews, chapter 10, 25 and 24, that we can encourage one another in the Lord to do the right thing. It's one of the reasons why there is the institution of the proclamation of the word uh, as often as it may be had, at least every Lord's Day, so that we can come and hear the admonitions and, and not not have just ourselves to kind of uh, regulate how we hear things. The, the grace that they needed is a grace that they already had. And this is why he opens up our, our paragraph, our, our little bitty of admonition, with this admonition to the whole church. He says, therefore, that means taking everything that I've said before, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown... You who I, I, I have received so much good news from, I have received so much comfort from because I know that my words and my works amongst you was not in vain. I can see the glory of Christ in you and that gives me assurance. So stand fast. That is, keep standing fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. In other words, what you know to do needs to be what you keep doing. But you still have to be told to do it. You have to be admonished. It is, uh, as so many things in Scripture, uh, the command is actually to remember. Uh, to, to remind yourselves. Uh, they were following Christ in self-denying love and they needed to. For these two women to be brought together, they needed to be reminded of the humility that is implicit in gospel faith. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and this is one of those things that that therefore refers back to. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to describe how Jesus himself, though possessing all the glory of the eternal Godhead, forsook that for the sake of his people. We're not called where our Savior has not already gone. And that's a necessary. 
a necessary uh, precondition for true unity in the church. But not just that. They are to keep living in the eternal kingdom and not gratifying the flesh here, not gratifying sin, and being wary of that temptation to do so. So we have the paragraph that leads right into this paragraph. Brethren, be followers together in me and mark them which walk, walk as you have, have us for an example. In 18 or 19, he gives uh, those that were following their own belly and, and their own ways and, and denying the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. For our conversation is not, our citizenship is not one of the earth. It is one of eternity in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ who shall change, not get rid of, but change our low body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. When he calls us to live in heaven, it's not that that we are to, to just be monks in this world. It's causing us to look forward to that time when the new heavens and the new earth shall be married into one, that they should be united, that creation is as God intended it to be. And we are to live in that way even now because we have the grace of Jesus Christ. Because He's what matters. And, and because that, we have that grace, we have that spirit, we can do it. And so these two women who may be headstrong, who may not be headstrong, who may just have a very honest differences of ways, they may not even be in direct conflict, but for whatever they were doing, it was pulling the church apart. And they need to both be able to say, my idea, my idea about what needs to be done, my work is important as it may be in and of itself. We need to make sure that it is second to Christ. And so Eudodia is putting that second to Christ and Tyche putting that second to Christ because it's both second to the first love, Jesus Christ. Then whatever continued variation they won't butt up against each other it would be true unity unity what Paul is telling us is a necessary work of the church a work of the church it's not a descriptive mark of the church simply Christ has called us into unity but it is something that the church has to work on it's not a shame to the church that she has to work on it we're sinners we ought to be expected to have to work on unity. The fact that we have to work on it, and again, I'm going to speak to you as Paul is speaking to the Philippians, because I don't view this church as one that is marred in discord or any such like thing. But we, I know that you are all human beings, as is I am, as is I am also. And it's something you and I are going to have to work on. It's something families have to work on. The unity of the wife and the husband is something that has to be worked on. The unity of sisters or brothers or brothers and sisters is something that has to be worked on, as any sibling knows. The unity in the church is something we have to work on because we are sinners. And we can't just sit back on our laurels and expect it to go... Uh, exactly as planned because Christ didn't call us uh, to a passive reception of grace. He called us and gave us that grace that we might be active in it. 
And so we need to be. Brethren will differ in this world. Uh, one of the, the great pictures, even though we're not given a whole lot of detail, one of the things that we're given to expect by the fact that there is this, this however mild it may be or however dangerous it could be, even in the best of churches, Corinth, yeah, that's one thing. They had a real problem. Galatia, that's another thing. They had doctrinal issues. Philippi, though, even Philippi, uh, that, that source of great joy unto Paul, even there, there will need to be an effort after unity because brethren will differ in this world. We had different experiences. Uh, we have different expectations. Uh, and we ought never to confuse unity with uniformity. Um, this is, uh, you know, the Judaizers were going with uniformity. Their ideal was that the new church in Christ Jesus would look like the old church under Moses, and a uniformity would bring about the union that was there at a discord because of the differences over Christ. It was insufficient because it made Christ something secondary. But if you look even at uh, 1 Corinthians, a church that was a great deal in need of unity. Uh, Paul tells them quite plainly, chapter 12, verse 4, Now there are diversity of gifts. It's the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are, difference, uh, di uh, there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. Uh, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. In other words, the reason why there are differences given is so that he might be useful or she might be useful to someone else. If everybody was rich, there'd be no charity in the church. If everybody was poor, there'd be no charity in the church. I mean, just there's a certain sense in which uh, the, even the, the general commands and duties that we have to one another imply that there are differences. If everybody was a teacher, there'd be no teaching in the church. Because nobody would need it. And there are diversities there. And that is okay. Uh, one of the great problems, if you read church history, one of the great problems in English-speaking Protestant churches, actually it would have probably been a, a, a problem for the English church because of her political situation, even if she had remained Roman Catholic, was the sense which they confused unity with uniformity. And so a great deal of the English Civil War, a great deal of the nonconformity afterwards, a great deal of the failure of Puritanism within the Church of England that was nevertheless popularly, well, with the people popular, was the fact that constantly they were conflating uniformity with unity. And any little difference of, of outward formation was considered a breach of unity in the gospel. And that situation in English church history is mirrored in American church history, uh, not the same way, but it's what set the precedent uh, for a great mill of divisions within the visible church of Christ because of a confusion of unity and uniformity. And they are not the same. In fact, oftentimes uniformity is urged because it's an easy way to kind of cover up a lot of disunity. 
The, the desire for uniformity is because people have despaired of actual unity. If we could get everybody looking the same, we'll be happy. It's like a lower expectation. And that's just not... It, almost always, unity and uniformity are at variance one with each other. Uh, but this is not to say that in the church there is a relativism. Uh, it's not that. It's not that anybody does what they wish. Remember the book of Judges, the great condemnation of Israel. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes and did not look unto the Lord. No, it's not that. It's looking unto the Lord first. Uh, these uh, two at variance, one with each other, they were to be of one mind in the Lord. That was to come first. Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 15 of our passage, Let us therefore, as many as be mature, be thus minded. And if any of you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. In other words, if you don't agree with me, the apostle, you don't understand what I just wrote to you, bear with us, you will come to it, because Christ will make his people one. Again, Paul is showing a great deal of respect to his listeners. This is a mature church. He can let them come to it at their own pace. He doesn't have to step in and do God's work for God. And sometimes, if we respect the grace in each other, I say sometimes, we ought to always respect the work of the Lord in another and understand that that we are one in Christ, and if we are one in Christ, then these other differences will work themselves out. Now, it's not to say that we just leave them, but we actively work to, to come to that unity of mind, one with each other. It's not relativism, nor is it laissez-faire, just letting everybody go their own way. It is a, a natural growth together. I mentioned this earlier. Let's look at... Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. We could go back up to 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering. And he's looking unto what we are in the Lord. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some. Not leaving us to our own devices. But exhorting one another and so much the more. As you see the day approaching. That we have a need to live as one body and one kingdom, one commonwealth in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should do that. Uh, and, and that is part of that work of unity. And we ought to remember the need for it. In chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 27 through 30, Paul writes, Let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you a salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. That, that there is a need, there is an assault from external. The devil can't snatch away the sheep out of Christ's hand. Christ says that plainly in John chapter 10. But he will seek to scatter the sheep and to scatter the flock and to ruin its testimony in the world. 
there is a need for this work that we have to do to seek to maintain actively that unity we have with each other. But as he mentioned into the, these ladies and to uh, the, the, the yoke fellow that is to help them out, the gospel is the right glue. You stand by grace. You don't stand by your own ingenuity. And so, as he mentioned already in chapter 2, verse 12, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shines as light in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I might rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all, for the same cause do also ye joy and rejoice with me. There is uh, this, this, the fact that we are making that progress in the gospel, we live and flourish in his grace, and therefore anything we do needs to be in accord with that grace. Uh, because, you know, if we had to stay on our, uh, stand on ourselves, we might fret that we'd goof it up. We might be afraid that we would mess it up. But we're not doing this in our own power, but in the grace of Jesus Christ. And so your efforts after, after if it's from a right heart and sincerity, if you see uh, two fellow saints in a conflict... Don't fear about messing up if you're there to sincerely be a peacemaker. The grace of Christ will work in you to accomplish his goal. That's what Paul says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for the Lord is there to work in you. This is what Luther meant when he said, sin boldly, but believe more boldly still. If, if you're worried about doing it exactly right, you're going to just not do it. Because you know how sinful and and error-prone you are. But if you're trusting in the grace of God, you are free to do what needs to be done, even if it's hard. And we also need to remember that that which causes divisions are themselves vanities. There's nothing good, eternal, and true that will last forever that can cause divisions between the saints of Jesus Christ. That is where they're united. That is where they come together. Everything else, though, is like those described in 18 and 19, enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. But if you mind heavenly things, if you mind Jesus Christ, if it matters to you that your name is written in the book of life, if it matters to you that you are God's and are Christ Jesus and you will inherit the eternal kingdom, then those are the things that will be steadfast and you will hang on to and everything that gets in the way you will let go easily and if you are in the mind to let go of those things then there isn't going to be anything that will prohibit unity with your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ those who feel the same way will come together doesn't mean that when you come together that you will still be uniform it doesn't mean that when you come together there won't still be diversities of gifts and diversities of opinions and diversities of other things. But they won't cause sundering 
They won't cause division. You will work it out so if you were like Syntyche and Euodius, you'll do what you were doing in such a way that it complements the ministry of the whole church and not uh, divides it or weakens it or puts it away. Paul tells them, but you tell us, my dearly beloved brethren longed for, my joy and my crown. Stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ, and we do ask that you would give us that unity of spirit and the bond of Christ Jesus. We pray, dear Lord, that we would not stand upon our own ways to the detriment of Christ, that we would always look to ourselves and and work out what we are truly uh, valuing, that we would always put Christ and his kingdom first, that we would seek the good of our neighbor, and particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, and that we would seek to live in that unity to which you call us. We ask, Father, that we would indeed be united to the victory of Christ, and that the things of this world would be shown to be the vanities they are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.